It's no secret that the debate over charter schools creates divisions within the Democratic Party coalition. But there's one aspect of that debate that would seem to play a more unifying role, and that's the status of so-called for-profit charter schools. The 2020 Democratic Party platform promises to ban federal funding for for-profit charters, explaining that education is a public good and should not be saddled with a private profit motive. So just what is a for-profit charter school? And how strong is the case against them? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next. My guest today is Michael McShane, director of national research at EdChoice and author of Ban For-Profit Charters, which will appear in the winter 2020 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Mike, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Great to be back with you. And I should note that the headline of your article includes a question mark at the end. I was going to say, you need a little, <laughs> a little up with the voice at the end of that, but yes. <laughs> it's an in, interrogative sentence rather than an imperative one. Uh, and this question that it asks is one that's long been a point of contention in the world of education policy. I look forward to digging into it with you. I wonder if we could start out, though, where your article does. You started working on this piece well in advance of the COVID-19 pandemic, and this was one article where I wasn't expecting that we could easily find a COVID tie-in, but it turns out that I was wrong. What did you find when you looked at what was happening in Miami? Yeah, this was honestly, it was kind of serendipitous that for another project that I was working on where I was just trying to profile schools and how they were responding um, to the COVID-19 pandemic, someone told me about Academica, which is a um, enormous education service provider, I think has more than 125,000 students um, and is one of these for-profit providers that, that people talk about. So I reached out to them and was just really impressed by the story that they told. Because they operate both in-person schools, but also have an online learning platform, believe it or not, they actually have a branch in Milan, Italy. And so as this uh, virus was raging and sort of making its way towards us, they had this kind of early warning indication and said, man, this might actually be a thing. So they had kind of a jump on a lot of other schools here in the States. And because of the network that they've created and some of the tools that they had put together, they were able to train their teachers up very, very quickly. They have this Collegia platform that is a sort of central hub for a lot of their resources. They were able to create confidential rooms that were so pull out services for students with special needs, parent communications, and really get this thing up and running very, very quickly. While at the same time, so many districts and so many other charter school models and, and private schools, basically everyone was scrambling. They were kicking into high gear. That's actually the kind of the story that, that, that kicks off the piece. Yeah, so they were able to take advantage of some of the flexibility they had as a private organization but also in this case, the scale that they had, not just nationally, but internationally, which is one of the arguments that's often advanced as to the potential role of for-profit providers. But before we get into those arguments for and against, I think we should clarify terms here. Uh, as I understand it, in every state except Arizona, for-profit charter school management organizations are not allowed to receive government funding directly or to hold a school's charter. If that's the case, what even is a for-profit charter school. Yes, 
thank you for asking this because if, if people take nothing else away from this piece and we talk about the arguments before and against it, just a clarification around when the term for-profit charter is used. If we can have more clarity around that, I will have done my uh, good deed for the day. Basically, as you bring up, in every state except Arizona and I think until recently California, charter schools are operated by nonprofit boards those boards can then choose to contract with a variety of different education service providers for a variety of different tasks. Uh, and those providers can be for-profit, they can be non-profit, they can be individual people. Um, so the for-profit charter schools are education management organizations. Their school, that the sort of vending that they do is school management. So some education vendors provide food services and some provide learning management systems. They actually manage schools, but the nonprofit board contracts with them to provide that. So they don't hold any of the charters. They can be fired by that board. And that actually happens with some frequency that's mentioned in, in the piece a couple times. So the, the charter school itself is still a nonprofit organization. They've just contracted with a, a for-profit service to provide um, these services. And these for-profit education management organizations can also operate schools on behalf of a traditional school district uh, as yes. well, right? And, and, and they so do, yeah. Ironically, were you to ban for-profit charter schools, the same organizations could continue to operate schools on behalf of school districts. That is correct. And it would raise the question, where do we draw the line between contracting for some services and contracting for essentially all of the services? Yes, in an earlier draft of the piece, I had this kind of labored ship of Theseus uh, thing that I had put in there that was wisely taken out by the editor. But it does sort of ask this question, which is all schools, traditional public schools, uh, non quote unquote nonprofit charter schools, um, contract with for profit providers for something, right? That they buy their textbooks from for profit providers, like I mentioned, food services or busing or learning management systems or curricula or any of those sorts of things. And sort of at some point, people have said, once you cross this line, you're a for-profit school. And again, that, that line could be drawn, you know, arguments could be made of drawing that line in different places. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just not clear to me exactly at what point we should stop calling these things a nonprofit and start calling them a for-profit. So there are about 7,000 charter schools nationally serving between six and 7% of K-12 students. How many of those are in this category uh, that's traditionally been understood as a for-profit charter school? Sure. So according to the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools, about 13% of charter schools are considered for-profit. Um, to put that in context, about twice that number, so 26% are run by nonprofit charter management organizations. So these are things we've heard of like KIPP or, or those like that. And then the rest are independently operated. And the share that are operated by these nonprofit charter management organizations has been increasing over time. The percentage that are operated by the for-profit education management organizations has been more stable over time, perhaps reflecting some of the debate over them. Yeah, I, th I want to say it's been that kind of 11, 12, 13 percent for, for most of the time that, that NAPCS has been tracking this data. And now... This is a long-standing debate, the potential of the profit motive in education. In fact, the very first issue of Education Next back in 2001, back when the journal was briefly known as Education Matters, many listeners may not be aware, 
it featured a debate between the late John Chubb, then involved with Edison Schools, the leading for-profit education management organization at the time, and economist Henry Levin on this topic. You looked back at that debate as part of your research for this article. What struck you looking back on it? Well, I think two things struck me. Number one is how little the debate has changed in 20 years. So many of the same arguments that John Chubb uh, made 20 years ago were the same arguments that were made by the folks from the um, for-profit providers that, that I talked to uh, for, for this article. And frankly, the arguments that Hank Levin makes uh, sort of against him are very similar. The one thing, though, that stood out to me that I think is sort of worth referencing was that in, in kind of the uh, not quite apocalyptic, but definitely sort of dystopian future that, that Hank Levin um, wrote about in his piece was this worry that if these for-profit schools um, were judged based on their performance, these schools would become obsessed with test scores. They would like hire and fire teachers based on test scores. Everything would be driven by those sort of accountability, like tail wagging the dog. And the sort of thing that stuck out to me was like, well, it's funny, you know, 20 years later, that's what we talk about in the traditional public school sector. Like the nonprofit sector seems to be racked by those things as well. So, so the, the very things that we thought, and the profit motive has nothing to do, at least maybe traditionally understood profit motive has, has nothing to, to do with that. So, so I thought that was a, a wild thing, that the very thing that was worried about this wild west of for-profit operators actually came to traditional public schools. And how about the virtues of for-profit management that John Chubb laid out? These involved just the potential for economies of scale as organizations could run schools across multiple geographic areas the ability to raise capital from investors that would let for-profit firms invest in research and development and scale good ideas more quickly and less bureaucracy, no pesky unions and collective bargaining agreements. Looking back on that case and then the experience of the two decades that have followed, where do we stand with respect to that argument? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, they haven't been sort of the votes against some of the arguments that he were making would be that that um, for-profit schools haven't been as innovative as I think he sort of thought that they would be over this time period. If you walk into a, a school operated by a for-profit provider, like it kind of looks the same. Now, maybe they have been able to find some of these economies of scale. They've been able to do things at the margin that are better, but the, the, they don't look that different. So this this profit motive hasn't driven this great research and development boom that that was projected there. Now, the things that he, he did bring up about access to capital and scale, I mean, I think that those things are true. Some of the folks that I spoke to um, for the piece talked about their ability to open new schools. If you compare them, let's say, to a nonprofit charter um, organization, you know, if they want to open a new school or they want to take over a, a school that's been struggling and past, you know, they have to do a ton of philanthropic fundraising. It's really difficult for them to be able to access that capital, whereas these for-profit schools have been much, much easier to, to float those kinds of things and get those, um, get those schools operating quickly. So as far as the things of scale and, and the red tape thing too, as, as I think we saw um, sort of in the academic case and others, that lack of red tape has allowed them when something like COVID 
COVID-19 happens, they have been able to move nimbly. They have been able to, insofar as some of the traditional public school efforts have been hampered by union contracts and others, you know, getting teachers up to speed on new learning systems because they didn't have the contract days or contract hours in order to get that stuff done. You know, this school was able to say, yeah, we're doing this over spring break. You're coming in. We need to get this stuff happening. So, so I think it's a mixed bag on those things. You know, unfortunately, uh, even if we look at sort of Hank Levin's arguments, as we look back at those early days of Education Next for Education Matters, which I didn't know that. That's something that I learned uh, today as well. You know, the, the sort of um, utopian or dystopian predictions, neither one of them came true. And I would imagine there would be other things in those early, uh, early articles that uh, similar claims were made and similarly disappointed both advocates and skeptics. Well, let's talk about the financial side as well. Uh, you know, the profit motive will only be effective or potentially effective in driving educational innovation if there is profit to be had. So have organizations succeeded in demonstrating that operating schools can be a profitable endeavor? Uh, some have and uh, some haven't. Um, so there are a, a small number of these providers that have been successful, but but, you know, as is detailed in the piece, it's a rocky road. I mean, even some of these sort of big organizations that we think about are something like K-12. You know, if you track their stock prices, I mean, it's been volatile. So, and at any moment, you know, it wasn't entirely clear how those things were going to go. So John Chubb was working for Edison Learning. You know, Edison Learning went under, I mean, at one point, I think it's shares were trading for 14 cents a piece. So, you know, it, it wasn't this, you know, cash cow lucrative thing that anybody could get in on. The, the field is littered with for-profit providers that were not able to make the grade. So the financial performance has been mixed. How about the academic performance? Can we settle this debate about the role of for-profits by looking at how those that have been in operation over the past couple of decades have performed? No. Uh, no, I don't think that we actually can. I mean, so if you look at some of the research that was done, um, Stanford's Credo uh, Research Unit did a, a study a couple years ago where they they tried to tease out both the nonprofit managed schools, the for-profit managed schools, and compared them to, you know, statistically matched students in traditional public schools. And they're all very close to one another, right? So that there are differences. Some are a little higher and some are a little bit lower, but it's, it's not a clear story there. So when they pulled out some of these individual providers, they found that Academica had positive impacts on um, reading scores, but not in math. K-12, another big provider, had negative impacts in both math and reading, and National Heritage Academies had positive impacts in both math and reading. So, so it's a mixed bag, right? So some of these for-profit providers have been shown to, to do better. Um, there was some other research that's been done on National Heritage Academies, but again, it's kind of complicated because it was uh, you know, random assignment, but it was you know, more likely that suburban students would do better. And again, so the, the, the short answer is the word that I started with, which is that uh, no, the, the research I think neither indicts nor exonerates for-profit providers. So the financial performance has been mixed. The academic performance has been mixed just as it has in other segments of the charter school marketplace. So at the end of the day, what's your bottom line for policymakers? Do calls to ban so-called for-profit charter schools make sense? I don't think that they do. I think that, you know, unfortunately for folks that are trying to find a, a broad sort of sweeping narrative, uh, as happens frequently in the American education system, uh, it's very messy and defies easy explanations. So I think it's very clear that in some places, 
for-profit charter schools have been good. They've been good for the kids who uh, have attended them. They have um, been good to taxpayers, that they've been good stewards of, of public tax dollars and have been a net positive for, for our education system. And there are other examples where they haven't been. So what I tend to think is rather than speaking in these very broad terms of like, should we have for-profit schools or not, or nonprofit versus for-profit, we have the ability now to, I think, drill down more granularly and say like, well, no, like let's look at how these actual schools perform and say some of these schools are performing better, some of them are performing worse, and whether they're for-profit or nonprofit doesn't have a lot to do with it. Let's just see who's doing well and try and support them. My guest today has been Mike McShane, Director of National Research at EdChoice. His article, Ban For-Profit Charters, complete with a question mark in the headline, is available now at educationnext.org. Mike, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the EdNext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.